I have issued a proclamation declaring a state of emergency in Maryland. This is Wavelength, Baltimore's public radio journey from your public studios, a monthly podcast series made possible by PNC Bank. I'm your host, Maria Broom. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan issued that state of emergency on March 3, 2020. That morning, the first three cases of coronavirus had been confirmed in Maryland. We know all too well where things headed from there. Within two weeks, schools and libraries were closed, large gatherings were banned, and state employees were ordered to work remotely if possible. Restrictions were mounting, and on March 23rd, Hogan took to his podium again, this time with a sweeping announcement. This morning, I have enacted an executive order which closes all non-essential businesses, organizations, establishments, and facilities in Maryland, effective at 5 o'clock today. Among those businesses deemed essential by the governor, radio. So for us here at WYPR, the pandemic created a a pretty interesting situation where we had to pretty quickly pivot and become what many of us call first informers. Your public radio president and general manager, LaFontaine Oliver. Yes, we were going to maintain our normal programming schedule, but we would also inject into that as often as as appropriate information that quite honestly became life-saving information. The general manager and I, LaFontaine Oliver, met and said, what can we do to give our audience the news of the day sans a fire hose in a calm, cohesive manner? WYPR Executive News Director Danielle Irby. Because remember, there was so much coming out about COVID-19 then. There were rumors. There were rumors mixed with facts. And so that's when we decided to uh, stand up the podcast, The Daily Dose, as a compilation of our news team's reporting at the end of the day, and again, a, a calm and cohesive fashion for our audience. It's Friday, March 27th. I'm Aaron Hinkin. City council candidates scramble to campaign in the midst of a pandemic. Teachers gear up for a long school shutdown, and scammers try to exploit an already bad situation. It's The Daily Dose, brought to you by WYPR. People needed a place where they could go and get well-researched, nuanced information that also did not sensationalize um, the situation. And that was not um, that was not easy for us um, here at WYPR. There was no aspect of life or business that COVID-19 wasn't affecting. And so I think it was a lot of it was adrenaline and eagerness to do factual reporting and to get it out to our audience. And I think that was our main driving force then. And of course, figuring out how we're all going to do that remotely. Folks found ways to uh, record new spots from closets in their homes. We uh, had to make investments in equipment and technology to allow for much more remote broadcasting than I think uh, any of us ever thought would ever be necessary or possible. But it all, I think, uh, worked out pretty well when you consider that we were able to maintain a high-quality daily 24-7 news service 
that pivoted and really began to focus on that life-saving information, especially during those early days of, of COVID when, um, you know, lives were, were being lost at a rate that um, no one was prepared for. People were afraid. And we knew that the worst thing for WEAA to do as the voice of the community is to not be on the air at a time when our community is most frightened, feeling very alone, not sure of what to do or who to trust. Dr. Cassonia Wise Whitehead is the host of WEAA's daily live talk show, Today with Dr. K. We made the commitment to stay live as long as possible. So we would actually go into the studio. Um, our uh, general manager at that time, Mally Pinker Pierre, cleared everyone out and only had people come in within teams. So you have to wear your mask, go into your separate areas so we can continue to bring the news. We tried to um, do all of our work from home. They purchased all of this equipment. So that way I was at my, my kitchen table at that point. My son was helping me, but we tried to stay on to bring the live show every day. When the system kept collapsing and it was really um, unnerving for people for me to be on the air and I would go off and come back on, we then moved back into the studio, but we continued to stay live every single day. It was really challenging um, and emotionally draining to do so. Emotionally draining, yes, but also important. Dr. K says that it's in these moments of crisis that public radio shines the brightest. When every state and every county has their own different story, because it impacts everyone differently, you look to the public radio station in your community to bring you the truth about what's happening to you. Proximity matters. Like people were, they were concerned about, you know, COVID-19 in Seattle, Washington, but I want to know, is it here? And if it is here, what do we do? Don't tell me that they're closing parks in Texas. What about right here in Patterson Park? Do I need to be concerned? And this is what we did. We took the international national uh, focus and we really narrowed it to take it through the lens of Baltimore City and then through the lens of Maryland to help people make sense of it. Welcome to Today with Dr. K. I'm Dr. K. Wise Whitehead. I'm joined now by Dr. Anthony Fauci, the country's top leading expert on infectious diseases. Dr. Fauci, let me begin by thanking you for your leadership, uh, for your wisdom, for your steady hand during this very difficult time. Uh, we truly appreciate you, sir. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Thank you. So I want to talk about uh, the impact of COVID-19 on the African-American community. We were able to secure uh, getting Dr. Fauci. It's the first time he was he sat down with a black radio station because um, WEAA we educate African Americans. That is our, our that's what our call letters stand for. But the first time he sat down to speak about COVID nineteen specifically as it impacted the black community. Because early on, when COVID first hit, there was a, a lie going around that Black folks couldn't get COVID. So part of the work we were doing was to counteract that lie, particularly when you saw the way it disproportionately impacted our community. While news stations like WEAA and WIPR scrambled to cover the story of the pandemic, public radio music stations had their own set of challenges. The pandemic hit events the hardest. 
When social gatherings were banned and venues shut down, Sam Sessa was in charge of live events for WTMD, including Baltimore's popular First Thursdays concert series. Sam's job, as he knew it, evaporated before his eyes. So he had to pivot. We took First Thursdays digital. We turned them into virtual First Thursdays, which became these really cool live streams on Facebook that we did that got a really great reception. We were pleasantly surprised by how many people tuned in and some of the performers that we could get because it was actually in the end easier to get some of them because all they had to do was record a video. They didn't have to come here and take time and book a hotel, you know, all that logistical mess that comes along with playing a live show. But I think one of the signature things that we did was we made a short documentary and it turned out to be better than we could have possibly expected because Because of the pandemic, all of these bands that we wanted to get were already in town because they couldn't tour. So we had Snail Mail, Beach House, Dan Deacon, Future Islands, like all these big Baltimore bands. We were able to get them and interview them for the documentary. Seattle in the early 90s, you had grunge, New York in the early 2000s, post-punk. But the beauty of Baltimore is there is no genre tying everyone together. There's not a, a sonic through line in this town. It's called Do Whatever You Want All the Time, named after this album from this Baltimore band Ponytail. And we feel like that title is a perfect way, that's the perfect beat for the vibe in the scene. Baltimore music shows are like Spotify playlists. It literally can be anything. While WTMD found new ways to support and celebrate the local music scene, Long-running music station WBJC kept the light on for fans of classical music. As a part of Baltimore City Community College, the radio station was one of the few operations that remained staffed in person. WBJC's Jonathan Pilevsky remembers realizing that he and his colleagues were, in fact, essential workers. The governor was expecting them to report for duty. And we did. And these support people came in occasionally and the on-air people worked as they normally work, which was great for us. Frankly, I, I mean, that was that was a blessing. And I was so happy to have the luxury of doing our regular job. We were very careful. We, we all of us, both in our private lives and our radio lives, we uh, maintained social distance. We wore masks when we needed to wear masks. We didn't go out. We were all very careful so that none of us got sick or got any, each other sick. And during the whole period of time, one person got COVID post-vaccine, and he was, he was not seriously affected, and he was back to work in 10 days. And we were determined to be there, and we were there. And we maintained our regular service and we played music that was an incredible comfort to many, many, many people. And we were very proud of that. And people responded both financially and also emotionally. Whether it was music programming or the news of the day, WYPR's LaFontaine Oliver says the pandemic was a reminder to public radio to honor its roots. Overall, I think WYPR and and many of the other stations embraced the spirit of the Communications Act of of 1934, which talked about the fact that, you know, broadcasters were to operate in the public interest, convenience and necessity. And I think um, the health pandemic created um, immediately for all of us a situation where 
it was important for us to think about what our community needed from us in that time, which was, quite honestly, access to accurate, relevant, timely information during a period where there were a lot of unknowns. You're listening to Wavelength, Baltimore's public radio journey. Coming up, we fast forward to the present and cast our gaze to the future. What's next for public radio in the years and decades ahead? What are the challenges on the horizon in a rapidly changing media landscape? More in a moment. When LaFontaine Oliver looks to the future, he reminds himself of one of public radio's greatest strengths, connection to community. We are truly the last locally owned, operated, and governed media really in our country. And and that's really important. And um, that ties us to our community in ways that I think are really powerful and are going to continue to offer us opportunities if we prioritize that connection to community. And that means listening to our community. That means um, reflecting our community. That means finding ways to let our community into the work that we're doing and have them do that work alongside us. The knowledge that you get when you listen to public radio, you're going to learn something. Wendy Williams worked at WEAA in the 1990s. When your community rallies around you and when your community depends on you, you become the voice and the conscious, I believe, of your community. I know the need is greater than ever. Lamont Germany was a student volunteer at WEAA when the station first went on air in 1977. The information that is needed in a society in which there are so many varied sources for information, that frankly, the credibility of that information uh, is questionable. You need the foundational information conduit that public radio uh, has provided and continues to provide. And because I believe the need is there and stronger than ever, I think public radio is going uh, to be here. Despite uh, the current landscape we're in, I think in many ways, it makes the need even greater uh, than it's been in the past. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this, this concept of being a bridge, being a bridge between communities, being a bridge between different uh, opinions and different uh, thoughts. Um, We are in some ways um, more divided than we've ever been. And I think um, the role of public media, um, both from a news and journalism perspective and also from uh, the perspective of, of uh, music presentation is that we can serve um, as a bridge between communities. We can find ways through our content to bring people together, to have people um, see that, yes, we have differences, but that we share so much in common. And, you know, part of that currency that we have in doing that, it is, in fact, built around trust. And I think that's really, really important as um, some communities continue to to grow further apart is, you know, who's going to be that bridge um, to bring communities together? And I think for a long time, uh, public media has done that. 
But I think we can do even more in that area. And I think if we do, we will be rewarded by our, our community um, with their support, with their trust. And I think that's important to our future as well. Everything that WIPR does now, you can listen to right from your digital device in your car while you're on a walk. So my adage is if you have a quality news organization, you have to deliver it in any possible way that they can get it. Gary Levin is a WIPR board member. He's also an unapologetic tech geek. Gary loves what he hears on WIPR, but like more and more listeners every day, he doesn't necessarily hear it on the old-fashioned airwaves. WIPR's Andy Beanstock understands that digital streaming and podcasts are now essential vehicles for public radio content. Radio listening habits are changing. The way people consume media is changing, and public radio is having to change with it. And we're trying to keep up with it. Radio numbers are still good. I mean, good heavens, COVID was a flaming disaster for listening, but numbers have pretty much returned to pre-COVID levels. So I think the future is, I wouldn't say shiningly bright. There's a lot of questions in the future, but I think the future is bright for public radio. I think one of the biggest challenges that public radio is going to face in the years ahead is the the, the increase in noise. Again, Dr. K at WEAA. In the old days, the radio was your only option in the car. Those days are gone. And so I think for public radio, finding a way to cut through the noise to make it so that your show or your station or the work you're doing is so essential, it becomes what we call you know, appointment radio. The way everybody used to say, I'm going to go watch the Cosby show. I'm going to go watch Seinfeld. Like it was appointment television on Thursday night for the lineup. How do you make it so your radio show becomes appointment radio that no matter what else is going on during the daytime, I've got to tune in at this time because there's essential information that I'm getting. We will all continue to embrace the on-demand future. That is, how do we make our content available when people want it, how people want it on whatever platforms they may roam on. But the thing that will stay consistent, hopefully for all of us, is what I like to call that high thread count of content, whether it is the presentation of music, um, arts, culture, whether it's the presentation of news and information, that emphasis on going the extra mile, taking the extra step, doing that with a certain level of rigor and intentionality is going to hopefully continue to set us apart and connect us to our community. We like to say when we're fund driving that you are the public in public radio. And I think that sense that people can be, certainly in our case, sponsors of the arts. I think that is one of the really, really strong pulls. Judith Comick is the weekday evening drive time host at WBJC. She says the listeners who support her station appreciate consistency. They absolutely know what they're getting because they've been getting absolutely pure classical music since 1986. 
And we've been around so long that they trust us. And that sense of ownership, it's interesting if they call the station, perhaps they want to hear about a piece of music they've heard, the pride that you hear from them if they say, I am a member. It's just that sense that they can actually contribute to this community that we have here in Baltimore in some way. And I think that's the very strong pull of public radio, whether it's talk or music. As a public radio station, we rely on our members to give money. Dr. Kay says when she first started at WEAA, the big question was, how do we get the community to give? Well, I come from the Black church, and I know the research that shows that the Black community is actually the largest giving community in America, that we tithe more, we give to groups more, we have more rent parties, we give a lot of money. So to, in order for people to say, I've got to give my $5, for example, to WEAA, to Today with Dr. K, then it has to be an essential part of their life. It has to be appointment radio, and they have to have what I always say on the air, some skin in the game. For LaFontaine Oliver at WYPR, the future of public media in general hinges on a radical idea, an idea that stations haven't executed that well up to this point, but it may be their saving grace. I believe firmly that uh, public media um, and our industry overall gets stronger when we learn from each other. So this may be wishful thinking, but uh, I, I'm hoping that there's more collaboration in our future across stations, across formats. We, we strengthen ourselves and we strengthen our, our connection to the community and our ability to serve when we start to work together. Um, I also think the future of uh, public radio in Baltimore really hinges on all of us uh, thinking about how we can attract and retain a younger and more diverse audience. Um, I think it's vital to our future. I think it's uh, vital to our, our public service models. I think it's vital to uh, even our financial and our, our business models. And then I guess finally, I, I think the future of public radio is about, it has to be about community. It has to be about us uh, strengthening our relationship with our family of communities here in Baltimore so that um, we continue to find uh, more ways to, to be important and relevant in more aspects of the lives of people um, here in Baltimore. And I think that's really critical um, to our success. You've been listening to Wavelength, Baltimore's public radio journey from your public studios. Production and support for this podcast and WYPR's 20th anniversary is brought to you in part by the PNC Bank. Jamila Krempel is the executive producer of Wavelength. Ann Kramer is our producer. Katie Marquette is our audio editor. Production and engineering support by Spencer Bryant. Research and production assistance by Maddie Bristow. You can learn more about the podcast and listen to other episodes in this six-part series at wypr.org slash wavelength. I'm Maria Broom. Thanks for listening.